Hello and welcome. This is Background Screening Tips and Tech with me, Tim Santoni. Today we have a great guest, James Tunkey of Ion Asia, is joining us. Uh, James, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tim. It's so nice to see you and to uh, be able to speak with your listeners. Well, James is a qualified risk director, really a global uh, legal and compliance expert, and he works. He's worked with with me and my firm for numerous years. And he's a certified fraud examiner. He's got tons and tons of credentials. He's even uh, gone to USC and looked at public safety issues. He is has got tons and tons of qualifications. I encourage you to c- connect with him on LinkedIn if you have a chance and to just to see the massive amount of experience that he brings, uh, the way that he thinks about risk and investigations and compliance for companies and for on the legal side is just a, a cut above the rest. Um, and so, you know, maybe James, maybe start off by just explaining kind of your role, what Ion Asia does, what your focus is so that our listeners have a framework for, you know, where our conversation's headed today. Sure, Tim. Uh, I'm the chief operating officer of Ion Asia, which is a, a global investigations and security consulting uh, company that is primarily focused on um, the Asia Pacific region, uh, but we've got uh, offices in other places, uh, including in, in London. Uh, and our primary business is uh, working for um, the capital markets, so uh, publicly listed companies and companies that are going public, and the ecosystem that uh, needs to make sure that the directors of public companies are um, up to uh, snuff. Awesome, awesome. And I want to point out too, I think that the, from an education perspective um, in our industry, James is probably one of the most educated folks, both domestically and internationally. I know that he has a, a global executive MBA from TRIA. Maybe talk a little bit about that certificate and why you went that direction with that, James. Well, I finished my undergraduate uh, program in Beijing uh, and then uh, worked for a number of years and, and really loved what I do. And uh, so I went back to school in um, 2000 and one uh, at a program that was uh, being uh, jointly run by the London School of Economics and the High School of Commerce in Paris and New York University Stern. And the reason why I chose Trium was because it was so international and I really felt that it gave me an opportunity to um, be educated uh, within uh, different global cultures and that the cultural understanding uh, is important to leadership. So um, the Troium has, I think, just celebrated its 20th year of um, pushing out great graduates through the program and is consistently ranked as a top program. So I was very fortunate to have been a part of it. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think that one of the things when it comes to international investigations, risk mitigation, compliance is having a solid partner. So I have some questions that I kind of want to go through with James. And I think that the first one really comes from, you know, from where you sit, you know, what are the top risk factors that come with, with not screening your employees, your workforce, your supply chain, you know, on an, at an international level. And I guess the first thing is we got to define kind of what those risk factors are. Absolutely. So let's just start with um, trying to understand a little bit about risk and, and set the, the table there. So, you know, m- my perspective is that risk is about upside and downside. 
And the top reason for um, hiring people internationally is about growth into new markets. You know, the international hiring really brings uh, an opportunity for a cultural understanding and experience to help the employer reach more customers and maximize shareholder value. And people who provide capital to companies, um, whether they're um, shareholder uh, investors or bondholders, they make their investments based on measures of how reliable a company's projections are about its future. Uh, companies that provide reliable forecasts about growth can borrow money at a lower rate than their competitors, which is a competitive advantage. So background screening is about taking steps to objectively test the reliability of your forecasted expectations for that potential international hire. You know, the better companies get at delivering on their promises and improving the accuracy of their estimates for the performance of the company's human capital, the more competitive the business will be. That's great. That's great. And then in terms of, you know, who you guys are working with on those risk factors? Like what are the people that you're interacting with, you know, at Ion Asia, who, who are you, who are your clients? What are you working with them on to, to contain those risks? Well, mostly I work with people who are well-versed in downside risks and opportunity costs associated with making bad hiring decisions. And really those include replacement costs, fixing errors, recouping losses from fraud, rebuilding company culture, capturing new markets and ideas, or missing market timing. And INASIA has been working with uh, one elite uh, enterprise recently. A few key stakeholders uh, have been involved in the hiring process, have not really been great. Lots of money is being spent on recruitment consultants and the hiring process, but the people who are being hired are not actually screened properly and are the wrong fit. It's hurting the corporate culture, staff are leaving, customers are unhappy, and we're working with them on improving the screening process. Gotcha. And, and from, from your perspective, you know, what, what do you think the problem is with, with proper background screening? Well, the, the problem is that proper screening can be expensive. A friend uh, who has a government background told me recently that the background screening check for a top secret security clearance might be in excess of 10,000 US dollars. But I think that's probably very low considering all of the other systems that have to be maintained to support the process and the time costs involved. But you have hundreds of questions on scores of pages. Everyone and their uncle gets interviewed and cross-checked thoroughly within that cost. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and we're seeing that as well, both at the, the national, the local and the regional level law enforcement does not have the resources to actually do what's required to get both law enforcement, sworn law enforcement and private contractors in place to do the necessary critical jobs that, that kind of protect us, our security as a whole. Um, and generally speaking, you know, what do you see the pro I mean, the, the proper screening process is is time consuming and expensive, which which has a lot of problems. But what what do you what do you see generally with most screening processes? What are some other problems you guys see? Well, um, it's related. It's the other side of the coin, Tim. You know, the problem with most screening is that it's too cheap. 
<laughs> basic name your brand global check services are of limited value above retail. Indeed, you are making so many assumptions from limited, dated, and potentially wrong data about people that these checks can be counterproductive. Yeah. And to that point, James, just to follow up on that, like if someone's never done kind of international due diligence, international screening, they have no context for what it should cost, how long it should take. You know, what are some things you walk people through to kind of help them understand what, what a proper screening looks like and what it, you know, what it should, what it should take from a time and resources perspective? Well, the cost must be balanced, Tim. You, um, there's an art to what we do to look for the top risks. Uh, internationally, we consider the level of transparency and cooperation of the candidate. We consider the country risks and industry and potential past firm specific reputational and operational and regulatory risks. And we use real people to hunt to screen for indicators of risks, which can be very nuanced. So what we really do is work with uh, our um, clients to uh, figure out how much information are they getting from candidates and then uh, what are the top types of risks that are specific to their industry and their process and then how are we going to resource um, our own team uh, to make sure that they go out and get real answers to these questions um, efficiently and um, there again i think we're trying to focus on balancing cost and uh, turn around with customers so that they see value. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I see, I see a lot of times that people are deploying the same solution, but they don't really understand the business they're in, the risk, the compliance, the insurance, and what their investors, shareholders, and partners see as important. And so they just use the same thing over and over again. And that could be too much or it could be too little, but either way, it's not good for the, for the organization, the business, and again, can cause more risks. We're talking a lot about. Well, I tell you on that point, Tim, just to, you know, the solution to that is to uh, continually um, use the same type of uh, process that you would do for your other um, supply chain needs. You, you constantly go out to the market and look for new vendors. You constantly go out and look for um, people that are uh, possibly bringing uh, forward uh, new solutions and you use the, um, the information collection process to educate your team and to um, take in um, insight. And then you have to really work with other peers and you're a great resource for that. I mean, your, your podcast here is such a, a fantastic opportunity for people to, to really um, stay up to date. So thank you for all that you do to keep this thing going. You're welcome. Thank you. So we've talked a little bit about risk factors. We're defining the risk factors. We're talking about the issues that can arise and kind of aligning those things. Um, I think that supply chain vetting is 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 something that's super super important. And I think it's something that you you and your team have done quite thoroughly. Um, what what are company what are the the what are you seeing issues stem from supply chain? The issues that kind of come up and what are they doing or not doing when it comes to suppliers, distributors, and other people that impact their ability to deliver. Uh, you know, their, their product or service. Well, let's go back to what I said were the downside risks uh, for bad hiring decisions first. So I said replacement costs, fixing errors, recouping losses, rebuilding culture, capturing new markets and ideas, and missing market timing. Those are sort of the downside risks and opportunity costs. And really, supply chain is about the same issues. Um, uh, but the risks uh, being addressed relate to the activities by employees of people who are not your employees. 
Um, the reality is, is that those suppliers who are not your people have their own suppliers and employees who might you might not have any visibility into. So the major issue right now for major companies is the lack of visibility up the global supply chain. With all of the changes due to COVID, which have restricted travel and people's ability to go visit their suppliers and geopolitical changes over the past three to five years, supply chain risks are substantial. Yeah, I agree. And and wouldn't you, it would be safe to say that the, the replacement cost for employees and turnover and churn, when you talk about recruiting, onboarding, training is is some estimates it's three times first year salary. When you're talking about a supplier distributor that goes, that goes bad, that can put companies out of business. Well, it has. And, and, um, you know, the great, um, real life story is the energy, uh, company that we once worked with, uh, who was in the same town as a sock manufacturer. And one day the sock manufacturing business was a bit slow and he looked down the street and he, basically hired the, um, so the manufacturing line manager uh, away from the client company, and that person stole the company's secrets, uh, and uh, he, the SAC manufacturer went into the energy business. And a year later, um, this uh, company that had received hundreds of millions of U.S. dollar investments uh, was bankrupt, and uh, that was a... Um, just one of many of the 5,000 plus cases I've, I've seen since uh, joining I in Asia um, in 2004. It's crazy. All right. Well, moving on. Um, you know, we jokingly talk about this, that typically we get the call when something goes bad, right? We get the call when something's, the company's in trouble. And uh, I kind of wanted to get your take on kind of what are some proactive things that, that companies, you know, could do or or you would suggest that they do as it relates to employees hiring contracts contractors to kind of mitigate exposure to the risk factors that we talked about um you know in in their business processes well i'm uh, a proud member of the association of certified fraud examiners as you mentioned i am a cfe and have been for geez almost 20 years or thereabouts and um the acfe offers uh some pretty good data on the many ways to mitigate risk. And um, the key uh, takeaway from their um, decades of data collection is that it's really important uh, for companies to be receptive to feedback from stakeholders and to enable tips. So uh, the more that you can enable tips from other employees or from customers or from vendors, um, the more likely it is that you're going to discover a problem early and be able to mitigate it. And, you know, somebody stealing, we had one case recently where um, this CFO was stealing a couple hundred thousand dollars a month and it went on for um, U.S. dollars. Uh, it went on for four years. And if they had just um, caught that, by listening to the employees who are actually complaining about this particular um, fraudster um, two years earlier, you know, add that up, that's $3 million in savings or thereabouts. And um, 
You know, another thing that the ACFE says is, is really important is to maintain good internal audit functions. And so it's really important for HR to, to um, have a good relationship with internal audit and to get their feedback on how people are employing within the company and then, you know, how um, how results of supply chain audits are being reported back. And then finally, um, you know, the ACFE says that it's, it's, it's super important to perform regular management reviews. So people have to go out and actually kick the tires and, and performance uh, reviews can't be pro forma. So, you know, from the, from experience, the quality of employment contracts and policies and procedures documentation can also play a big role in mitigating downside risk too. I don't know what you've seen, but just the level of contracts sometimes can make a huge difference. Yeah, sure. You know, it's sometimes it's the basic, simple things, business process things to just normal processes, reviewing those processes and having a th third party or someone else on a different team look at them can uncover those things because it's usually just exploiting some little hole uh, causing a huge, huge problem. Um, we actually yeah. had a case recently where um, employee was just um, inside job selling off scrap product at a pretty high clip each and every day um, to to somebody that wasn't even a vendor. Um, and really just very difficult to detect the person had been there for a long time, had, had control over a lot of different pieces of, this, of the situation. And it wasn't until the company was acquired that an audit review detected this anomaly with regard to some of the numbers. And, um, you know, there it was, but again, it'd been going on for three, four, five years, probably. You know, bad employees can do all sorts of things that cost money and opportunity and impact culture. You know, they, there can be fraud loss uh, by an executive uh, that can be in the millions. You know, corrupt activities can uh, get a business shut down. Um, there can be shareholder lawsuits uh, and even regulatory fines and sanctions, Tim. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, in the, in the case that you're talking about, I don't know the situation exactly, but the one I'm talking about is that, you know, uh, the question I always ask is, well, what kind of proactive measures are you, are you doing to screen your employees? And, we, and we're like, oh, we're, we're not doing anything. And then when they're not receptive to those things, it tells you everything you need to know, which is a background check or a screening or an investigation, whether it's done discreetly or overtly, is not always to detect problems. It's to send a message to the people internally that you're working with, your, your employees or your contractors, that, that we have policies and standards. And whether it's clean or it's not, the idea that the oversight is there, no matter you know, no matter how deep or how thorough, it sends a message to the people you do business with and the people that you're going to employ that look, we don't stand for these things, and we have processes and in, in, in place to do that. Uh, and I think that that's it's more important to to externalize that and let people know about those processes uh, because, to your point, you know, after the fact, we can't even estimate how much these losses cost. But in our experience, right, it, depending on the size of the company, it, it can be. I mean, absolutely detrimental to the business. Investors can leave, employees can leave, customers and clients can leave. Um, and those things are, are not always something that companies can recover from. Well, the upside of it is also uh, there too. You know, if uh, the background screening is done in a way that objectively tests for um, the reliability of um, what people are going to be doing, and there's policies and procedures that are in place that are transparent, observable. Um, then 
the community of people that's investing their uh, their ideas, their uh, sweat, and their uh, precious capital in the company can uh, hopefully rely upon um, you know the the company to deliver according to um, what it promises to do, which is to grow and thrive and you know be around for a long time and 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 sell a lot of widgets and right. um, you know if you. Um, if you can do that positively and um, it's not just about, you know, scaring that um, scaring everybody that there's this, um, you know, this monitoring um, function in the company that's just out there to get in the way or scare people. And if you can just educate people that the processes are in place to ensure that there's growth and, and, and um, a healthy vital system, then, you know, you're on your way to doing something really magical. Yes. And I know, James, that you you work with a lot of publicly traded companies. So the risk factors and the issues and the exposures that we're talking about, can you hit on some of the key concerns specifically that for publicly listed companies? Well, um, for publicly listed companies and, and, and um, companies with shareholders and regulators, what they want to see is um, how will the tone at the top reduce um, – uh, the downside risk and reduce the possibility of repeat offenses. So uh, it's it's one thing to have a bad employee who costs you a little money, but if you don't have the policies in place and you don't have a tone for ensuring that, it, as you rightly say, uh, things are um, buttoned down, uh, you are going to get all kinds of trouble from shareholders and regulators, and there's going to be concern about your suitability as a leader. And so um, most regulators these days are really focused on tone at the top. And I think that um, the background screening um, program um, really should be focused on, on more engagement with leaders to ensure that they um, have the appropriate tone uh, and that there's a proper support for their programs uh, because it's it's truly uh, it's truly important to their regulators and and shareholders. Gotcha. And and to that to that point in terms of the tone from the top, talk a little bit about kind of kind of a recent thing that we've we've discussed strategy in terms of uh, boards and and how you see risk and at the top and in the boardroom. Well, Tim, if you have uh, a board that's well-educated about um, the importance of employees. I think you're kind of uh, already living in the modern age. And if boards aren't talking about um, the quality of their employees and where they're getting great people, then they're, um, they're really not, uh, you know, up to date because this is the critical challenge. And so, as people think about um, the difficulties of finding great people, you know, and all the resources that are required to um, find every last new employee of any kind of quality, um, you know, the screening process plays a critical role in making sure that um, good choices are made and that the company's scarce resources in the hiring process are being utilized for maximum benefit. And so, Right now is is a great time to be communicating with boards about um, the upside of finding great people and um, about the hiring process's um, capacity to um, really weed out a few duds that might take the company back and and misuse scarce resources. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, James, thanks again for coming on the show. Before we let you go, is there anything, any parting thoughts or words or kind of strategic advice that, that you would give to our listeners who maybe are working with, consulting with, or part of, of companies with international kind of, kind of business relationships? Well, the, the number one, yeah, sorry. There, um, the number one issue I would just say is that, you know, it takes a great team to do this, um, all kinds of specialists. And I'm, I'm fortunate to work with a great team and it, people want to, uh, find us, uh, we're at, um, Ionesia, uh, on LinkedIn and uh, online. And it's just been such a pleasure to have a, a professional, um, relationship and dialogue with, um, Santonis over the years. And, um, you know, we're, we're very proud Tim, to know you as a human being and, and really grateful for the opportunity to speak with your listeners. Awesome, James. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll definitely link up all of James' contact information in the show notes below. You can download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks. Thanks.